Amen. This is the day that I'm believing, not only this church, but churches all across this district will be reborn. Amen. Praise God. Concerning that service, uh, that service will be held tonight at 6 p.m., uh, I want I want us to show up at 5 o'clock for prayer. We'll, I want us to have prayer from 5 to 5.45, specifically for this service. Uh, we'll have that downstairs, and the reason for that is uh, Sister DeMuth is going to be uh, running some tests on the uh, the bandwidth and the, the live link and things like that. Uh, so I want her free up here to make sure that that's running so that we can actually have a service. <laughs> Amen. Uh, service will start promptly up here at 6. Uh, it will be probably about a half hour of worship, give or take, some preaching, and then the altar call. Okay? Uh, nothing new there. I want us to respond as if that service were being held right here. Uh, we, this obviously isn't our preferred venue of holding a service, uh, the online service, but during COVID, during our uh, restrictions, we've had some experience with that. We've all done the online service thing, so we kind of know what to expect and how to respond. Uh, I expect that we will respond just like it were live. Amen. Because in any service, the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. Amen. So we want to put as much into it as we can spiritually. Uh, the greeters, who's, who's greeting tonight? Is it? Okay. I want you guys up here at 530. Uh, so you can leave prayer early and uh, just come up here and make sure that you're here to greet visitors as they come in. Amen. This service is going to be a launching pad. This, is, this isn't going to be a one-time thing, okay? Uh, a lot of these revival events, however you want to call them, are kind of flashes in the pan. And I generally have come to despise these kinds of things for that reason. Uh, a bunch of people come in, and then a few months later, a bunch of people leave. And we're kind of back where we started. Uh, this isn't going to be that way. Whatever happens tonight, whether we get one person receiving the Holy Ghost or a hundred people receiving the Holy Ghost, whatever happens here tonight is going to be the beginning of something wonderful. Just the beginning. Okay? Uh, this isn't going to be a one-time thing. I want... As a church, I want us to begin to expect this to continue, this to be extended out. Amen? Uh, concerning that, there is a lot of what I would call backroom work, organizational work that needs to happen in the meantime. Okay? Uh, right now, we are a small congregation. Uh, that may have surprised you, but uh, it's true. We don't intend to stay there. So our organizational structure, uh, it needs to change. It needs to become more robust so that when we do experience growth, we can handle that. We have things in place as we grow that we can start putting people in. We can start uh, training leaders, putting them in, and everything's already set up. We're already used to operating that way. So... Uh, those things are going to be needed. Uh, they're going to need to be taken care of as well. They'll be taken care of as we progress forward. 
This is going to be a messy process. I'll let you know that right now. It's a messy process. There's going to be a lot of starting and stopping as we determine best practices, what's going to work for this particular congregation. And so in the meantime, I'm going to ask that everybody be patient with us, that you be patient with me, and be in prayer, that we can discern the mind of Christ, that we can receive from him direction, counsel, guidance as to what we need to do to move forward. Uh, that doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen perfectly, because we are dealing with human beings. Amen. Enough said, right? <laughs> and so uh, we're going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, and uh, we're just going to keep moving forward. Amen. Let's all stand. For our service this morning, let's call out to God for just a moment. Ask him to bless this service. Let him have his perfect will that he would be released into this assembly to perform all that he desires. Amen. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. We call out to you this morning. We call out to the name of Jesus Christ this morning. And we ask, O oh God, because you are already here, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you administer freely, that you would have free reign in this place from this point forward. Help us, Lord Jesus, to respond to the presence of God, to respond to your voice. Help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. Help us, Lord Jesus, again, to submit ourselves to your authority, to do all that you command us to do so that your hand of blessing could be upon us. You desire only good things for your people. You desire only great things for your people. And I pray, Lord, that through our actions, through our response to the word of God, through our obedient faith, you would see that we are ready to receive all that you have for us today. Let your name be glorified in our midst today, and these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. You can be seated. We are continuing with our series on the New Covenant. <clears throat> We've made it all the way to Matthew chapter 6. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about Jesus' teachings on giving. It is sometimes a touchy subject. It is sometimes a, a, a topic that is not very well received. But I stand before you today thankful that I'm preaching to a giving church. You guys are, are not novices to giving. You guys understand the power of it. You understand the efficacy. You understand the need for God's people to give. And so, hopefully for most of us this morning, this is just going to be an encouragement to keep doing what you're doing. <clears throat> but for those few of us that maybe need a gentle reminder or, a, as my dad would say, a kick in the slats, uh, <laughs> uh, Receive it as such. Receive it in love. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, 
that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Amen. So we see here in Matthew chapter 6, at its beginning, Jesus is presenting, in the chapter general, Jesus is presenting models for giving, prayer, fasting, money, and trust. Okay. He's moving now from from the the Pharisees' teachings to looking at their hypocritical actions. Now, the actions that the Pharisees were taking were not condoned by the Pharisees' teachings. They were actually acting in in opposition to their own teachings. And yet they were doing this. And worse, the people seemed to accept that as okay. For example, in the scripture text we just read, they would sound a trumpet. When they gave, they would stand on the street corner to pray loud, lengthy, wordy prayers. And in today's vernacular, it would be like someone praying in the King James English. Thou most high God, please bless this thy people. And, you know, it sounds really good, but it may not be very effective as a prayer, except to impress those that are hearing me. Now, if that's how you pray and you touch the throne of God, by all means, do that. My point is that there are those who pray even today uh, to impress others and not necessarily to receive anything from the Lord. And so it was in the time of Jesus, so it is in the time that we live in today. There are those that are effective in prayer. There are those, maybe I should have just talked on prayer. There are those that are effective in these things and do these things for the right reasons. And then there are others who do them for the, the very wrong reasons. Now, in either case, it's good that we're doing them. Okay? People giving in the offering plate to just to show how rich they are and how pious they are. I mean, that money's still going to go for good things. That money's still going to go toward the missionary and and toward uh, the work of God here. But the point is the reward that they're looking for is way different than the reward other people might be looking for. Uh, The reward that, that the Pharisees were looking for is praise of men. That men would see how pious and how righteous they are. That men would see how good they are and how close to God they are. And they had almost literally no regard for receiving anything from God for that. Their idea was not to to obey Scripture. Their idea was not to submit themselves to the will of God, per se. They did so, but for the very wrong reasons. And in our Christian walk, it becomes very important, especially when we look at uh, the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, why we're doing what we're doing. What are our motives? What are the reasons we do what we do? Those things are very important. It turns out they're vitally important. Because from here, 
is where everything else comes from, good or bad. And so my motives for doing something matter. They're very important. I can do the right thing for the very wrong reasons. In this scripture text, we find that uh, people who would enter into this new kingdom are those who would freely give. It's assumed in these verses. God doesn't necessarily command it. He assumes it. He assumes that that would be a natural byproduct of someone who lives and exists in the kingdom of God. The giving of alms is considered here a great duty, a duty which we all must abound in according to our ability. In Jewish culture, the giving of alms was equated with righteousness. In fact, the poor man's box, the box that the alms went into in the synagogue, was called the box of righteousness. And so, equating giving to righteousness isn't a connection that we would necessarily automatically make. But if we're doing it for the right reasons, if we're doing it in the right spirit, it equates to righteousness. Righteousness is not a matter between two people. It's not between you and me. It's not between us and me. It's between me and God. That's where the righteousness comes. It's not a matter between people, us. It's between us and God. So if my righteousness is between you and me, well, then I'm going to... I'm going to try to impress you with my righteousness. I'm going to try to demonstrate to you how righteous I am and how holy I am and how godly I am. And I will seek to receive my reward from you because of it. Oh, Brother Becker, you're so pious. You're so godly. You. That would be my reward. And... And as good as that would be, that's that's just not worth it. Yeah, that would be it. If you received that from me, that wouldn't really amount to much, would it? You impressed me. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> We ought to be seeking rather to impress God. If we're going to receive our reward from God, then we should be demonstrating our giving in front of God and not each other. For the Pharisees, the focus was the external act of giving, not on ministering to needs, not in pleasing God. The rewards that they received are those which serve their own pride, their own arrogance, their own selfish need for uh, to be better than someone else, to be perceived as someone above. They weren't thinking at all of the plan of God, the will of God. But when we focus on the right attitude, the right motives, Our focus then is on the internal qualities of the heart, selflessness, generosity, love, not so much on the external. 
We can meet the needs of others even if they never find out who did it. That's not what we're doing it for. That's not what's important to us. What's important to us is we submit ourselves to the will of God and do those things that please Him. We're seeking in everything that we do say and think to please Him, not each other. If we please God, as the saying goes, it doesn't matter who I displease. If I displease God, it doesn't matter who I please. We seek to please God, and that ought to, at least for those of us here, that ought to automatically please everyone else. But we're seeking to please God. The hypocrite's reward is the temporal, self-serving, and utterly worthless currency of self-aggrandizement, pride, arrogance. These things are worthless at best in the kingdom of God. And at worst, they will keep me out of the kingdom of God. Doing it for the right reason results in rewards that are eternal, God-serving, and of infinite worth in God's kingdom. Again, the rewards I receive from God are everlasting. I will never spend those rewards. They are waiting for us in heaven, and we will spend them, we will use them, but we will never deplete them. They will always be there. What an awesome thing that is. In the Bible, about 15% of everything Jesus says and teaches about has to do with money. Why is that? Isn't the love of money the root of all evil? Should we just do what we can to avoid it? I used to think that'd be the easy way out. Just be a poor man and not have to worry about it. I think it was uh I think it was John Calvin. Don't quote me on this. It was someone. I think it was him. He had a house and it burned down. And so a friend of his was trying to comfort him and you know, help him through the the tough situation. And he was ecstatic. He was, he was happy about this. And why? He's like, well, that's one less thing I have to worry about maintaining. God entrusted it to me. I guess he wanted it back. <laughs> now I don't have to worry about that anymore. <clears throat> the point, of course, is the attitude we have toward money, toward possessions, toward things is extremely important. We're always trying to separate spirituality and money. It's one or the other. But God sees them as inseparable. How we treat money is a very good indicator of our relationship with God. If we look at Luke chapter 3, we won't read the whole thing, but in that chapter, uh, John the Baptist is preaching. And at one point, they ask him, What do we need to do to demonstrate fruits of repentance? His answers are very interesting. In verse 11, he tells them to share clothes and food with the poor. In verse 13, he tells the tax collectors that they shouldn't take more money than is right. In verse 14, he tells the soldiers to be content with their wages and to not use their position to threaten and steal from others. 
But John, we're not asking about a, a Dave Ramsey course here. We're asking about repentance. That's what John was talking about. This demonstrates fruits meet for repentance. Our attitude toward money. When our attitude toward money changes, then we understand there's something changing here. There's something changing in here. The story of Jesus coming to Zacchaeus. What did Zacchaeus say? If I've stolen anything from anyone, I'm going to give fourfold back. And Jesus said, this day is salvation come to this house. Because of his attitude toward money, Jesus perceived that repentance had taken place, a change of heart had taken place. And so it becomes, therefore, extremely important for us to understand that our attitude toward finances, our attitude toward money, toward things, is very important in the sight of God. We don't need to shun it. Oh, it's evil. It's money is money is evil. Money can be evil, but it's a tool, just like the internet. The internet can be evil. My smartphone can be evil. It depends on how I use it. <clears throat> but if our attitude toward it is right, and we use it in the proper way, it can be good. It can demonstrate our righteousness in the sight of God. Matthew 6 continues on with the the concept of, of money. Verses 19 through 21. He says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And here's the point. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus isn't saying here that riches might be taken from us, but that they always will be. Nobody takes anything with them. It all stays here. At some point, Solomon even lamented the fact we heap up treasures, we heap up riches for someone else to spend. <clears throat> They're going to be taken from us at some point. In today's economy, we deal with inflation, market fluctuations, accidents, natural occurrences, national and world events, taxes, robbery, theft. All of these things serve to undermine our wealth our finances, our stuff, and teach us, hopefully, that we ought not rely in them. They are flighty, transient things. And if our trust is in money, it's going to betray you. It will betray you. I told the analogy a little bit ago of Confederacy money and U.S. money. And that is exactly how we need to consider these things. This currency, this fiat money that we spend here in the United States, 
that is inherently worthless, except that the government says it isn't. Everyone accepts it as money, so it's it's money. <clears throat> but it gets us by. It takes care of our responsibilities while we're down here, just like the Confederacy. Those in the Confederacy knew it was ending. They kept just enough Confederate money to take care of their immediate needs. But they put the rest in U.S. money because that was what was going to continue on. We need to spend and have just as much as we need to take care of business and put the rest in our eternal treasures. That's what we need to do. The idea is that we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. It can be there waiting for us. The key points to this are, are one, God owns everything. I'm simply his money manager. And this sounds right. It sounds good sitting here. But when we get a big influx of cash, the first thing we want to do is pay our tithes and offerings. Amen. And then spend it on something. Buy that new thing that I was looking at. But understanding that everything, everything that we have, even this body that I inhabit, is not mine. This idea that people have out in the world, th these reproductive rights things, don't touch my body. It's not your body. I mean, there's all kinds of things wrong with it, but my point is, this isn't our body. We're stewards of this body. We need to take care of this body. But at any time, God can take this body back. Just like the house that we're about to buy. Just like the car that we drive. Just like the, the money in our bank account. It's not ours. We are managing it for God. Now, has anybody worked as a money manager before? Has anybody used a money manager? Okay. Awesome. <laughs> well, a money manager, what they do is I give them my money and they are supposed to manage it for me. They are supposed to take care of it. They're supposed to make it grow. That's their job. And, be, and because that's their job, I'm paying them a little bit off the top to do that. Now, of course, the idea is that the net... I'm going to end up ahead. If anybody has a retirement account, that's kind of the same thing. You pay your dollar cost averaging. You just put the same amount in month after month after month, and your retirement account grows. Well, someone is managing that account. Someone is deciding how to allocate the funds with various stocks and mutual funds and et cetera. And they're getting a little bit of money for that. But that's your money. If I come back to the money manager, I want my money. I spent it. What? You spent my money? We get that. We understand that right away. But when God comes to us and says, I want my money, I don't have your money. I spent it. I thought it was my money. 
My brethren, these things are not so to be. We need to understand that that's God's money. And he can give it and he can take it at any time he wants. And when we understand it, when we truly understand that, and we live like that, when he comes and grabs some, that's okay. That is perfectly fine. When he asks me to put $1,000 in the offering plate, I don't need to know why. It's not my money to begin with. God wants $1,000 back. Okay. He's just making a withdrawal. It's his money. God wants my car. It's not my car. I'm steward. I'm a steward of that car. I'm supposed to take care of it. But if it burns to the ground, okay. Hopefully he'll let me be steward of another one. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, maybe I'll need to work my way back up. <laughs> be steward in the small thing. But we need to understand that we are not owners. We are managers. We are stewards of these things. Well, we understand that. It's so much easier to give that $1,000, to give sacrificially. My heart always goes where I put God's money. Jesus said it himself, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. My heart is going to follow that. One man said, I can tell, I can tell your state of, of spirituality. I can tell your, your, your heart condition by looking at two things. Your checkbook and your day planner. How do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? By those two things, I can tell where you're at with God. And I don't think he's that far off. Those things that he's placed in our in our care we need to use them properly and when i use them properly my heart is going to follow if i'm spending my time on let's say football because i couldn't care less about football there are people that they know all the stats they know all the players they know everything about it and god bless you fantastic but if that's where I'm spending the, the focus of my time and I just, I don't have time for church on Super Bowl Sunday, <clears throat> you know, I'm spending so much time there. That's where my heart is. That's where I'm invested. That's where I start to become emotionally involved with it. But if I'm spending time in the kingdom of God, teaching Bible studies, praying, doing the work of God, I'm going to become emotionally vested in that. If all my money is going toward uh, movies or video games or gambling or, or something legitimate like, I don't know, some other charity, United Way, uh, I'm going to start becoming... Invested in that. And it may not necessarily be a bad thing, but it's not the best thing. When I put my money in the kingdom of God, 
not only is my heart going to follow there, and I become mostly invested in the kingdom of God, but now I have eternal treasures. I have eternal treasures, and I want to put my heart, I want my heart to be in the right place. Jesus said that where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. If my treasure is in the kingdom of God, if my treasure is in heaven, that's where my heart is going to end up with. That's where my heart is going to to gravitate toward. That's what I want. That's what I want. And so because of that, that's what I want. I'm going to put my treasure there. I'm going to put my time there. I'm going to put my talents there. When I do that, I'm ensured that my heart will be in the right spot. Heaven, not earth, is my home. And again, that's very difficult to maintain. That's a very difficult attitude to maintain in this, in our culture today. Understanding that all of this is going to burn. It's all going away. It's going to be cleansed by fire. <clears throat> it's, it's, what is that? Dead man walking. That's what this earth is. Its days are numbered. And so, again, having the attitude that we just keep enough to, to take care of our short-term needs, the business at hand, and we put the rest in the kingdom of God. Because if my focus is here, it's all gone. If I put all my money in Confederate money, right at the end of the Civil War, man, what a good deal. Right? Wrong. Now it's worthless. Maybe it's a collector's item now. Maybe you can get money for that. But right after the war, it was utterly worthless. <clears throat> sell my gold and my silver, sell my mansion, and, and put it in Confederate money. What a sad scenario that would have been. But there are people today that are selling relationships, they're selling their time, their health, and they're putting it into to jobs, careers. They're putting it into things that just aren't going to matter. Now, I'm not saying don't excel at your career. It, the Bible teaches us we need to be a good witness and a good steward. Do your best at, at, at what you're doing. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Whatsoever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. We need to do those things. But that's not our focus. That's not where I'm investing my time and my energy and my resources. This is where I'm investing my time, with the kingdom of God. I'm doing what I need to do here. What I need to do. But what I want to do, where my heart is, is over here. That's what I want to do. That's what I desire to do. That's what I'm identified with. And so, this is not my home. And I need to understand that I'm taking care of my responsibilities according to the will of God, but I am not investing any more in this place than I have to. I am not striving for a, a brand new car. I'm not striving for a, a, a big mansion house. I'm not striving for these kinds of things because they don't matter. They just don't matter. In fact, it just causes more stress. And that's more I have to, to deal with and, and manage. So I'm just taking care of what I need to take care of here. This is not my home. This is not where I even belong. 
We don't belong here. We're pilgrims. We're wayfarers. We're sojourners. We're moving through a very strange land on our way home. But we're not home yet. This isn't our home. Don't sink roots here. Keep moving forward. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. Materialism is a plague. And it gets a hold of us real quick and real easy. In fact, the more comes my way, the more tempted I am to hold on to it. I'm speaking for myself. I expect that I'm in good company. The more, the more I receive, the more I want to hold on to it. The only antidote to that is to, to let go of it, to give it, to release it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean writing a check and giving it away. That means having the attitude that whenever you want it, God, it's here. I'm ready to give it when you ask me. And when he asks, I give it, and I don't feel anything. I don't feel resentment. I don't feel fear. I don't feel doubt. I don't feel bitter. I don't feel any of that. I feel relieved. I feel, I feel glad that I was able to, to serve God in that capacity, that God trusted me with that. Because now I know he's going to probably trust me with more. And now I can start giving more. Which leads me to the next point. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. There are people that I have read books, and I can only assume that they're telling the truth. They've gotten to the place now where they live on 10% and they give 90%. And they're very happy to do so. Now, I don't know if everybody would be able to do that, but the attitude, the idea is this. I keep just what I need. As a money manager, I get to, I get a salary. I get paid something. And God allows us to keep some of that and use that for our own needs. That's legitimate and that's good. But the rest is His. And He needs, He needs His people to be ready to release that back to Him when He needs. He doesn't, He doesn't entrust a lot of stuff and, 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 money to me so that I can buy that new house, buy that new boat, that new four-wheeler. I'd love all three of those things. But that's not why he gave that to me. He gave it to me so that I could give more. I could help more missionaries. I could help other church plants. I could help someone in the house of God who's struggling right now. Uh, what awesome things, what awesome uh, opportunities there are to minister to people. Amen. Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 10 says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Okay, tithes and offerings. Tithes has always been 10% of our gross. Not net, 10% of our gross. Everything else comes after. Offerings are anything in addition. <clears throat> Amen. 
I don't have a problem preaching and teaching tithes and offerings because I know what it does for you. I know what it's done for me. When we obey the word of the Lord, there is blessing. And again, all of this is God's anyway. It's all his anyway. So we give these things because we are commanded to. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. We are commanded to do this. Uh, You can argue with him. Argue with me if you want. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I'm not the one saying it. God is the one saying it. So, if you got a problem with it, talk to him. Amen. I'm just going to tell you to, to talk to him anyway. In conclusion... Our attitude toward money is extremely important. How we handle the money God has entrusted with us is extremely important. Okay, it demonstrates very clearly the condition of our heart, and it demonstrates very powerfully our relationship with God. How we manage money, how we handle money, how we think about money, stuff, things, is extremely important. And in the Old Testament, again, it was a very uh, external thing. I give. Okay, check it off. Jesus is saying it matters why you give. Again, a condition of the heart. When our heart is right, when we give for the right reasons, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Amen. Let's all stand. Jesus, you are an awesome God. I am so thankful that you have entrusted your people with so much. Help us, Lord, to be faithful stewards ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you entrust something to us, help us to be ready to give it back. Help us to understand that these things are not ours, but yours, fulfilling the the law of God. When you ask that we would give, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that our attitude toward these things, that our heart's desire would be toward you, to please you, to serve you in all that we do, say, and think. Bless the remainder of our service, I pray. Bless us tonight as we come back to the house of God. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. We'll take a 15-minute-ish break. Be back at 1030.